To Dear Reader, a book talk show featuring chatty librarians bringing you reading recommendations and a whole lot of book loving. I'm Justine Hanna, here with my fellow librarian and bibliophile Natalie Mason, and we're coming to you from Melbourne Library Service. Welcome, Justine. Welcome, Natalie. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. How are you? I'm feeling good today. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> today... Feeling good, looking good. Oh, hey, thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're I very love welcome. the power of audio. <laughs> Looking great. Mm -hmm. Um, Today we're talking about regal reads in honour of the Queen's birthday. So we deliberately chose the books that we chose because of their regal themes. Indeed, we did. Or did we? Or did, well, <laughs> well. before we get started, we want to remind our listeners that we'd love to hear what you've been reading, so please tweet us at melblibrary, M-E-L-B-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, with the hashtag Dear Reader. And don't forget, you can download Dear Reader episodes at SoundCloud and iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. It's the best way to make sure you don't miss us. And who would want to miss this? I tell you, <laughs> not I. Uh, all the books we mention on the show today will be listed in the show notes on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the Read page. Alrighty, Justine, let's dive straight in. What is your first regal book of the day? I feel like there should be some pompous music now. Well, the first book I'm going to talk about today, thank you for that intro, Natalie, Pleasure. Uh, is The Queen of the Teeling by Erica Johansson. So this is the first novel in a trilogy about a young woman who also happens to be a princess. Hidden away from her people as a baby, she's now of an age, 19, where she must claim her throne. And along the way of learning to be a queen, she also must combat a malevolent sorceress. So Kelsey Raleigh was uh, was raised in hiding far from the intrigues of the royal keep after the death of her mother, Queen Alyssa, and in the care of two devoted servants who pledged their lives to protect her. Growing up in a cottage deep in the woods, Kelsey knows little of her kingdom's haunted past. The background to this story is really fascinating to me. The author has actually created a really interesting history to the land where Kelsey's story takes place. So long ago, Kelsey's forefathers sailed away from a decaying world to establish a new land free of modern technology. So this story is set 300 years later, and the feudal society has been divided into three fearful nations who pay duties to a fourth, the powerful Mortmesne, ruled by the cunning Red Queen. Now on Kelsey's 19th birthday, the tattered remnants of the Queen's Guard loyal soldiers who protect the throne, have appeared to escort the princess on a perilous journey to the capital to ascend her rightful place as the new Queen of the Teeling. Though born of royal blood and in possession of the Tear Sapphire, a jewel of immense power and magic that Kelsey must unlock, Kelsey has never felt more uncertain of her ability to rule. She discovers a shocking evil in the heart of her realm, which precipitates an act of immense daring on her part, throwing the entire kingdom into turmoil and unleashing the Red Queen's vengeance. A cabal of enemies with an array of deadly weapons from crimson caped assassins to dark blood magic plot to destroy her. But Kelsey is growing in strength and stealth, her steely resolve earning her loyal allies, including the Queen's Guard and an intriguing outlaw known simply as the Fetch. 
Riddled with mysteries, betrayals and treacherous battles, Kelsey's journey is a trial by fire that will either forge a legend or destroy her. Throughout the book, each chapter begins with a short excerpt from a variety of history books pertaining to the Teeling Nation, which I really enjoyed. And the characters are also really well drawn. You can't help but like Kelsey. She's described as not exactly pretty, um, but she's very smart. She's courageous. She wants to do the best for her people and she loves books. So of course I liked her. Um, this is a great book for young women from age 15 and up. There's little in the way of teen relationships, which I do appreciate because I sometimes get annoyed at those. Um, but Kelsey does occasionally think some slightly saucy things. Uh, but mostly this is a book about a young woman coming into her own and I cannot wait to read the rest of the trilogy. So that's The Queen of the Tealing by Erica Johansson. When you were describing that, I saw a lot of colour. There's a lot of red, blood, capes, sapphires, oh, yeah. all that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. It's a really interesting book and it's really done well and yeah, the characters come out, the land is so beautiful and she's, the author's gone to the effort of giving you some real history, which I just found so fascinating and I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it when people get lost in their own imagination like that. Not only has she invented a world to set her book in, she's then invented history books that were written about this exactly. fictional world that she's invented. Exactly. Kind of and amazing. it just draws you in even more, which I yeah, it's really good. Also, the bad guy is called The Fetch. Well, he's not necessarily a bad Guy? Or is he? Well, it's interesting. He's, <laughs> he wants to find out more about Kelsey. Like, no one knows who her father is. And, you know, that doesn't mean she can't be queen, but people are very interested in who was her father. Um, and uh, he sp spends a lot of time trying to uncover this. And also he's the person that she has some slightly saucy thoughts about. So there's a really interesting thing happening. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the second novel. So, Natalie, what's your first pick? My first regal read for today. I can still hear that music in my head. dun, 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 dun. Is that even regal music? Do we care? Um, my first pick is The Uncommon Reader by Alan Bennett. It's a nice short novella. It's beautiful. 2007 is when it was released uh, by English writer Alan Bennett. Um, it's a really delightful and charming story about the Queen. Let me tell you what she does. Queen Elizabeth is walking her corgis around the palace grounds. As you do. As she, she's yeah. a responsible pet owner. Yes, indeed. Right? And very in, involved in the lives of her pets, as she should be. So she stumbles across a mobile library that she had no idea visited the palace grounds for the staff um, and she felt compelled to visit the library but also to borrow a book thinking it might be rude not to. <laughs> so she struggles to choose something, chooses an author that she thinks is uh, I guess, you know, a classic author or a famous author or a book that she should have read and borrows it. She returns it the following week out of obligation but feels very unhappy with the reading experience. She very much did not enjoy the book. Um, she feels, though, on her re revisit that she needs to borrow something else, though, out of obligation, and she goes ahead and borrows a Nancy Mitford book, which I was so Yay. pleased about. She takes her time choosing. She reads the back covers. She has a bit more interaction with the books and then chooses a book that I loved and reviewed on Dear Reader a couple of weeks ago. I found um, The Pursuit of Love funny and warm and witty and utterly delightful and it turns out that this fictional queen felt the same way. Um, the queen reads the sequel to The Pursuit of Love, Love in a Cold Climate, and her love of reading starts to grow and I think that happens because she's choosing her books carefully, might I say. <laughs> she enlists Norman, who's a palace kitchen hand who was in the mobile library on both of her visits, to be her personal book recommender, -ra -ra -ra. and the two of 
them start a book club of sorts where they read and discuss books as often as her schedule allows. She's the Queen of England after all. Of course. After some time, her private secretary and her other advisors become concerned because the Queen would rather be reading than pretty much doing anything else and she is required to do a lot of things. So they figure there must be something wrong with her. They start to, um, I guess they start to question her mental health because she would rather be reading than doing the things that she would normally enjoy or appear to enjoy doing. Um, Alan Bennett, the author, does a really great job here of painting how society views those of us who read relentlessly. (laughs) We're painted as selfish, isolated, we would rather be alone, we'd rather separate ourselves from the rest of the world and that the process of reading is quite alienating and is not connecting you to society. (laughs) Could it be more wrong? (laughs) Uh, The Queen's responses to these various attempts to shut down her reading are really funny, like really funny. The best one is when she stashes a book under the pillow in the royal car after she's driven to a function. When she returns to the car, she discovers the book is not where she left it. She inquires to its whereabouts and is told that it had been found by security and, I quote, exploded. No. Yes, let me me read just this passage. (laughs) Exploded, said the Queen, but it was Anita Bruckner. The young man, who seemed remarkably undeferential, said security may have thought it was a device. The Queen said, yes, That is exactly what it is. A book is a device to ignite the imagination. The footman said, yes, ma'am. It was as if he was talking to his grandmother. And not for the first time, the Queen was made unpleasantly aware of the hostility her reading seemed to arouse. Very well, she said. Then you should inform security that I should expect to find another copy of the same book, vetted and explosive-free, waiting on my desk tomorrow morning. And another thing, the carriage cushions are filthy. Would you look at my gloves? Her Majesty departed. Expletive, said the footman, fishing out the book from where he had been told to hide it down the front of his breeches. (laughs) Oh, it's hilarious. Too funny. Just anyway, it's beautiful. It's a quick read. It would delight everyone. It is a regal read. It fits the brief. I recommend it heartily. Get your hands on a copy. Justine, what's your next regal read? Oh, before we get into that, I'd just like to say I think that you were quite regal in the way that you read Queen Elizabeth there. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's my Queen Elizabeth voice. It's a very regal voice. I reserve it for very special occasions. (laughs) Queenly occasions. So my second choice my, for Regal Reads is The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chee. Oh, this is so hot right now. Uh-huh. So uh, The Queen of the Night is a historical novel set for the most part in France during the Second Empire when Grand Opera, the 19th century song spectacular, was all the rage. Nothing is more critical to the book than the opera connection. The title is taken from The Magic Flute and in an afterward, Chi says that he meant his book to be a reinvention of Mozart's classic. It also does feel indebted, though, to other 19th century operas, La Sonnambula, Lucia de Lammermoor, which was on recently in Melbourne, which I am so sorry I missed, Il Trovatore, Faust and Carmen are all invoked sometimes at length. Opera also supplies the linchpin of the plot. Our main character is Liliette. Liliette is a type of lyrico-dramatic soprano known as a falcon after the French singer Cornelie Falcon, uh, who was around 1814 to 97. Falcon lost her voice after only five years on stage. She had to retire at 23. Liliette believes that she operates under a curse and that before long her voice too will break down. 
The story opens with Liliette as the sensation of the Paris Opera, a legendary soprano who has won every accolade except one, the chance to originate a role. When she is finally offered such a chance, she realises that the story of the opera is somehow based on her own life, on her past, which is a secret to all but four people, one of whom is dead, one who loves her, one who wants to own her, and one who never thinks of her at all. She embarks on a journey of remembrance through her past as an orphan in America to Europe where in order to survive she transformed herself from a hippodrome rider to a courtesan, from empress's maid to debut singer. We follow Liliette as she moves closer to the truth behind the mysterious opera and the role that could secure her reputation or destroy her with the secrets it reveals. I adored this book. So much so that I didn't want to give it back to the library. It's the kind of book I want to have in my bookcase just so that I can reach out and touch it occasionally. <laughs> kind of creepy, I suppose. No, um, I do that often. <laughs> Everybody does that. They reach out and just touch a don't particular they? book. I think they should if they mm-hmm. don't. Um, it's a luscious read. It is beautifully rich and seductive. It's a novel that reveals itself slowly and continuously until the very end. There are some incredibly beautiful and intelligent passages, but what drives this novel is plot. This incredibly mysterious, unspooling story that pulls you along one more page and then another and then another. We learn about Liliette's past, how she grew up in a homesteading family in America, and how when her mother wanted to punish her, she bound her mouth closed and forbade Liliette her voice. One fall, everyone in her family dies of the fever. Liliette buries them one by one, sells the horses, burns down the house and takes a coach to New York where she wanders the streets half frozen. A drunken man buys her a bowl of soup and then takes her to his bed. There's a circus in town. She joins it as an equestrian with the result that she winds up in Paris as part of the 1867 exposition Universelle. And it goes on and it is completely amazing. I won't give any more away, but we'll only say that this is a book to savour. It is dark, funny, bizarre heartwarming and moving. It will take you for a ride, much like an opera, really. So that's The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi. How many diamond tiaras would you give it out of five? Oh, five, absolutely. Right. Yes, five diamond tiaras, five, you know, jewel-encrusted ball gowns. Ooh. <laughs> five of everything that you can imagine. It is a true ride, this story. So, mm. Yes, and your second pick, Natalie? My second pick is called The Royal We. It has two authors, and I think that is the problem. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to review a book I didn't enjoy. Let's see how I go. <laughs> shall we? Shall we? Let's, let's shall. The book is called The Royal We by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan. Um, the basic premise plot part is a young early 20s American woman called Rebecca goes to Oxford University in the UK to study abroad for a year. Um, She turns up in the middle of the night and it's snowing and she comes from somewhere warm in the States so she's unaccustomed to this blustery weather and the young man that opens the door to the dormitory to let her in has been waiting for hours because her plane was delayed or some other some such plot device (laughs) and there's the meet cute on like page five so Mm -hmm. he's the heir to the throne in the UK he's the the next king of England um and she doesn't recognize him doesn't know who he is she's obviously from another country so has none of that experience of growing up with his face in her face all the time so uh there you go um her name is she prefers to be called Bex B-E-X, and his name is Nick, but his nickname is Posh. So it's Posh and Bex. Mm. Now, I don't know that much about celebrities, but I did love the Spice Girls, so (laughs) I'm not completely out of the loop when it comes to the Posh and Bex 
joke? Is it a joke? I don't know what goes on there. Basically, from here on, Nick um, lives a fairly restrained life being the you know future king. He's, he's uh, under several obligations to rein it in and be very... PG in his behaviour. Bex, however, is under absolutely no obligations whatsoever. So there is party town central. Um, there are some instant best friends. She pretty much uh, in like in is is absorbed into this group of friends immediately the first time anybody meets her, who become her besties and for the entire book. There are some tre- treacherous characters, and your job as the reader is to try and pick which ones aren't treacherous pretty much because they all could be um basically bex and posh fall in love settle down get married that's the book from start to finish spoiler Um, alert well could it have ended any other way (laughs) really i mean could it have ended any other way no it's a romance and it's called the royal we and there's a you know a wedding dress on the cover i'm not silly (laughs) i i can guess a plot device when it's put inside my face so (laughs) so closely i have to say the parts that read well were an absolute joy to read you could breeze through them it was romantic it was lovely there were lots of um stumbling into situations that turned into you know bigger events that were lovely um but when it was a chore to read it was very much like two besties sat next to each other on one laptop and went I want to write the next sentence no I want to write the next sentence and then they both wrote the sentence so everything felt duplicated in some ways it was just not fast enough and too much repetition in the parts that I felt was slow um as soon as i suspended all reality and stopped thinking of it as a a great work of literature and started thinking of it as a fun book um it was just fine (laughs) so um that's my regal read did i do okay you did great it's hard to talk about books you don't like Mm -hmm. or didn't enjoy reading yeah i guess so Oh. <laughs> Do you like everything you read? I don't talk about the ones I don't like. Yeah, so maybe maybe I've learned something here today. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm now going to stop talking about The Royal We by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan. <laughs> Justine, what's your final regal read for today? Great. So my final regal read is a non-fiction. It's a biography. It's called Georgiana, Duchess of Devonshire by Amanda Foreman. Uh, I read this a couple of years ago and it just stuck in my head. There's been a movie made, although the movie was only made about pretty much the first half of the book, not actually the whole, which was just dreadful because so much happens. <laughs> so it's a really readable biography. It was the winner of Britain's prestige, prestigious Whitbread Prize and it was a bestseller for months, I believe. It's the story of Lady Georgiana Spencer, the great, 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 great aunt of Diana, Princess of Wales. I think that's enough greats. <laughs> I got it. And the story is no less of a soap opera than Diana's life. Set in the realm of late 18th century British aristocracy, this is an intimate look at a woman who was the queen of fashionable society in her time. So in 1774, at the age of 17, Georgiana achieved immediate celebrity by marrying one of England's richest and most influential aristocrats, the Duke of Devonshire. Launched into a world of wealth and power, she quickly became adored by the Prince of Wales, a dear friend of Mary Antoinette, and a leader of the most important salon of her time. Not content with the role of society hostess, however, she used her connections to enter politics at a time when women were not encouraged to do so, and she eventually became more influential than most of the men who held office. 
Her good works and social exploits made her loved by the multitudes, but Georgiana's public success concealed a personal life full of suffering. The Duke of Devonshire was unimpressed by his wife's legendary charms, preferring instead those of her closest friend. For over 20 years, the three lived together in a jealous and uneasy menage a trois, during which time both women bore the Duke's children as well as those of other men. It's a really interesting read. Foreman's descriptions of Georgiana's uncontrollable gambling, all-night drinking, drug-taking and love affairs with the leading politicians of the day give us a fascinating insight into the lives of the British aristocracy in the era of the madness of King George and the American and French revolutions and the defeat of Napoleon. So there's a lot of turmoil happening at this time. The author draws on a wealth of research and writes colourfully and penetratingly about the fascinating Georgiana, whose struggle against her own weaknesses and whose great beauty and flamboyance and determination nation to play a part in the affairs of the world make her a vibrant and quite contemporary figure. Her life was plagued with illness though and she died at the young age of 48 from what we now know to be a liver complaint uh, and she was deeply mourned. Her only son never married or had children despite having many mistresses. He was quite unlike his father. Uh, he fought slavery, he rebuilt um, houses and villages of the poor on his lands and he took a great interest in fruit production. The bananas you buy from the supermarket are actually named after him. They're Cavendish bananas and he's a Cavendish. I thought it was really fascinating. Lord Cavendish? Yeah. Um, if you like your history with more than a little melodrama, then this book will not disappoint. So that's Georgiana, Duchess of Devonshire by Amanda Foreman. What a life. I know. It was a truly fascinating read. There's so much more I could say, but um, it, just read it because it, it's, it's real. It's real life and it's so good. <sighs> anyway. Natalie, your last Regal Read, please. Look, let's just say I took the Regal Read brief very seriously. (laughs) And my final book today, just to be extremely reverent about it, is a Prince biography. Now, Prince recently passed away and I am bereft and heartbroken, let it be said. As are we all. Um, The book that I read is called I Would Die For You by Toure. God, this took a really dark turn at the end, didn't it? (laughs) Toure, the author, is a a cultural critic. Um, He's written five books. Um, This particular biography, I Would Die For You, is based on three Harvard lectures that he delivered a couple of years ago. So this is while Prince was still alive and making great music. Um, These lectures have been turned into a book and I should have realised when they were lectures and that there is not one photo inside the book that this was not your average biography mm-hmm. where you're going to find out juicy gossip. This is actual a real um, incisive academic look at Prince, his entire life and legacy, and comparing it to cultural trends and um What's that other word that I need right now, Justine? Icons? Um, yes, icons. There's a lot of prints uh, prints in comparison to Madonna and Michael Jackson. They were all born in the same year, incidentally. I guess there's your gossip. But um, uh, it's up to Madonna now. Um, but they all had hits at the same time. They all toyed with gender, identity, sexuality, religion, those sorts of things. Um, it reads like essays. So if you're looking for, you need some Prince information to calm your sh- absolutely 
shattered heart. This is interesting, but it's not soothing. It's actually quite critical and requires a fair bit of thought. It's very analytical. Uh, Lyrics are pulled out of songs, completely out of context, examined up against Bible verses, up against um, other texts, academic texts, and reinterpreted and re-evaluated. So you'll be singing Let's Go Crazy and having a completely different thought process than you might have before you read this book. It's separated into the three lectures, as I mentioned earlier, one about family, one about sex, and one about religion. Um, Prince was from a family, he was a a child of divorce born in the boomer generation, appealed to the Generation X um, as his albums were coming out late 80s and into the 90s, uh, but also has great appeal to his own generation too. So it talks about how he straddles two generations, which which not a lot of musicians can do with their output. Um, He was a latchkey kid. He didn't quite belong in his family. So he created a band to be his family. And as with, um, you know, these real stereotypes of latchkey kids or children of divorce have abandonment issues therefore he fired Wendy and Lisa for example from the new power generation because he thought they were going to quit classic example of his abandonment issues and I'm thinking well maybe it was creative differences he was very determined with his creativity I'm like Toure are you sure I mean were you even there so I had some some problems reading it but they're probably just my issues because I'm wondering am I learning too much like maybe now's not the time to start pulling apart Prince lyrics maybe I just need to be dancing and maybe that's how we deal with grief possibly Um, it does look at Prince's role in a wider context context I just wanted to mention that that we have lots of Prince biographies that are different to this and also copies of I Would Die For You in the library collection so if you're feeling a little bereft and you need a bit more Prince in your day-to-day life look we would not judge you we would encourage that I would highly recommend it. We have lots of Prince biographies with lots of photos. So there's all the Sheila E. gossip, all the romance, the dating, the marriage. Everything is examined in great detail in those books. This one, a bit more academic, but still incredible insight um, and really... It's quite a thoughtful book, I thought. Um, so those you can access through the Melbourne Library Service catalogue. I just want to say one final thing, and that is, Dear Prince, rest in purple peace. Aww. He invented my favourite colour. I mean, I'm just heartbroken. All right, well, let's cheer me up, Justine. What's happening now? What are you reading next then? What I, are you going to read to get over Prince? I'm reading The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson, which oh. is an examination of uh, feminism, queer identity and motherhood. And it's another academic piece of writing, but I am absolutely loving it really loving it very again another thoughtful academic book I'm doing a lot of thinking Justine what are you reading at the moment <laughs> the new Mr. Carey novel so Mr. Carey wrote The Girl with All the Gifts which is one of my favorite takes on the zombie apocalypse ever and if you haven't read it you totally should um it goes it goes somewhere that I did not expect and I love it when a book does that to me so this one is called Fellside and I'm really looking forward to it as well I don't know a lot about it yet um it's on my pile and I'm I'm yeah I'm not wanting to rush too much with my current book, but I'm really looking forward to getting to that one. <laughs> the, the constant dilemma. I know that feeling. Uh, well, that's our show. Before we go on, though, I want to remind everybody that you can borrow these Regal Reads that Natalie and I have discussed and others from the library. So jump onto the website and check out the catalogue. And if you type in Queen or Prince, uh, you'll probably get most of these coming up. You can also read our show notes, including a list of the books we discussed on our Goodreads page, which you can find on our website at www.melbournelibraryservice.com.au and on the read page.
We would love you to tell us what you've been reading or ask for our reading recommendations. You can tweet us at Melb Library, that's at M-E-L-B-L-A-B-R-A-R-Y. Use the hashtag Dear Reader or join the conversation on our Goodreads page. Don't forget you can download Dear Reader episodes at iTunes or SoundCloud by searching for Melbourne Library Service and subscribing. And if you like what you're hearing on Dear Reader, we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help others find out about the podcast and it gives us a nice warm glow. Uh, The wonderful music on our program is by Ben Mason. Check out more of his music at www.benmason.com.au. And until next time, Dear Reader, thanks for listening.